the Saturday panel on Off the Ball. There's a growing hostility towards cyclists. We're yeah. somehow seen as, as a nuisance when, in fact, we're just people trying to get to work. I've never, ever gotten one bad word said to me about my sexuality or from the opposition or from... Actually, in one bad time, seriously, the girl was marking me so tightly. I was like, I have a girlfriend. <laughs> I'm not the person I was 10 years ago. And that doesn't worry me. I know I can play good enough golf. Don't miss the panel every Saturday afternoon, only on Off The Ball. The Off The Ball Podcast Network. And you're very welcome along to this week's edition of The Snap. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up to our American football newsletter, OTB Club Gridiron. We've got the very latest content from The Snap, the latest American football news from Ireland and the USA from offtheball.com. Podcasts, long and short form video content all included. You can subscribe offtheball.com forward slash club gridiron and enjoy all that OTB Club Gridiron has to offer. With us this week, as ever, Kian Fai, how are you? Jar, I'm feeling very much like if you've ever seen Muppets Treasure Island when they start singing about cabin fever, I feel like I'm permanently in that right now. So you've got a bit of cabin fever. It's fair enough. Oh, a little, not, not a little bit, a lot. Ronan, how is your cabin fever? All good, Jar. I think the, uh, the last dance has been a welcome source of salvation. I think it's distracted everybody and kind of encouraged people to go back and look at those glory days in the, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, Keen, is this not like a little bit similar to how your life as uh, somebody who grinds tape is like anyway, you know, um, keeping weird on social hours and not really seeing anybody because you're addicted to the all 22? Well, uh, ironically, I've been watching and putting together numbers for the last three weeks and I've been wor- doing a lot of work in terms of that. And the boredom has been, come from being stuck in the house. So I actually haven't seen any of the, any of the last dance. I, I'm kind of a weird, very unoriginal probably take, I guess, is uh, I, I'm not really interested in Michael Jordan anymore. He, I, I, in American, like, I don't, over here it's different. So over here, everything is, has stopped. So we need something to talk about. We need something to watch. And this is the perfect thing for that. But if you live in the American media, if you live in the American world, Michael Jordan is ubiquitous. He's constantly referenced. He's constantly talked about. So this new documentary to me, it's just not appealing because we've talked about this all the time. It's funny. I like. I think that there's a generation of Irish people who probably are unfamiliar with a lot of the stuff, and so a lot of us are actually learning for the first time in some detail a bit about who his character is. Because I would actually argue that this, the ubiquity of Jordan in the American media is very simply a binary, was he or is he better than LeBron? And that's the only way that conversation happens. So to, to build out something beyond the cartoon character of LeBron versus Jordan is actually kind of interesting for those of us who aren't that familiar with the nuances of his career. Absolutely, and I. But I, there are there are different documentaries. Like this has been all uh, approved by Jordan. This has been all like anything in these documentaries. Michael Jordan has said, "Okay, we can put this in. That's okay. We can do that." So it's not like you're getting a. Like, obviously, nothing is really objective when it comes to documentaries. But it's not like you're getting an outsider's take. There are other documentaries. The M- NBA has a great one on the Dream Team where they will go into this era of basketball and talk about how Jordan actually went from being with the uh, with the Jordan rules against the Pistons, dealing with that with that 
because what gets forgotten with Jordan in that idea of Michael Jordan versus LeBron is they say Jordan just won every year. Jordan was never questioned. Jordan always made his teammates better. But when you go back through the actual years, Jordan got all the same criticisms that LeBron gets. And you get this thing with Jordan where, oh, he went to six finals and he won six rings. And they kind of ignore that there was other years where he didn't even make the finals. So that's always used in that LeBron-Jordan debate. And it's just, it's covered to death, but it's also... If you haven't been paying attention, it's quite fascinating because you do have two guys who are just freakishly good. Like Michael Jordan was, I think Charles Barkley has stories, whether they're in The Last Dance or not, but he's had these stories other places where he used to think he was better than Michael Jordan and Jordan just beat him a couple of times or beat him in one one big uh, series. And he went home to his daughter or his son, whichever it was, I can't remember which, and just said, I'm not better than him and I've got to accept that. And you're getting that from someone who's a top-tier, high-level athlete. And the only real comparison we have, I guess, is Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. But then it's it's not even the same because people will argue that there were people like before, like I, I would go back to Zidane. Zidane was the guy from when I was relatively young and the other Ronaldo as guys who are comparable to them. But when you talk basketball, there isn't really anyone comparable to Michael Jordan and LeBron James. So it is the two pinnacles of the sport. Yeah, Ronan, what's your take on all this? Like you obviously are into it quite a lot. Yeah, it's funny. Keane's correct that basically given that Jordan has the final say in this, he gets to frame it whatever way he wants. And while he has said that people might come away from it thinking he's not an ideal teammate or, or so on, I think he's happy for those little uh, sectors of his personality to be sort of illuminated a little bit that he wasn't a perfect teammate and he sort of drove them to greater success. But it's kind of annoying. Like Isaiah Thomas is one of the best players ever, like top 20, top 25. And from this documentary, he's been framed as just one of these Detroit Piston thugs and in every other documentary where the where the reverse is at play where if it's a Pistons doc they're going to frame Michael Jordan as a brilliant player and the Pistons had to overcome him whereas Isaiah Thomas in this one is just another sort of footnote to the Michael Jordan story so I think that's a bit unfortunate like you can't really minimize what a big deal it was it was like the Saipan of America in 1992 when Isaiah Thomas was left off the dream team he's like um, a transcendent player came after the Celtics, came after the Lakers, preceded the Jordan Bulls, and these guys won two championships and no one ever talks about them. So it's uh, Michael Jordan has a lot to account for in that regard. And yet you're still... Sure, just, just, to, uh, just to say there, just to catch us when, when Ronan mentioned it, the 30 for 30 is called Bad Boys. It was made in 2014. It's, if you have watched this Jordan documentary, this is the thing to go and get because it'll complement it perfectly. Yeah, I haven't... Uh, I, I actually didn't watch it. I mean, I watched it the first time, but didn't know any of the backstory. And so I'm kind of quite keen to go back and, and supplement my last, really good. last dance viewing with that. Oh, well, that's good to know. Um, but Ronan, you still like the documentary, notwithstanding the fact that Jordan's production company is involved. And so therefore you have to be suspicious about what level of, of influence he has on the final cuts uh, like I'm enjoying it not knowing that like I know that it's going to be a flawed product but at the same time uh, it's, it's, it's okay to like stuff that isn't perfect oh it's fantastic it's man from heaven it's such a relief to have something to watch and as you said while we're we're all okay with the macro story it's nice to get little wrinkles about not just Jordan but the other um, elements of that team like we talked during the week on the podcast about Dennis Rodman, again, we know the the key story, but we don't really know what made him tick. And he was talking about the science of rebounding, which is not something that has ever got, been gone into in great depth. And I know Kieran Donnie was very taken by that kind of stuff. So you are getting, it's kind of catering to the, the fans and also people who are just coming to this story for the first time. My only thing is that people who 
are coming to it for the first time are just going to ride over the likes of Isaiah Thomas as just a, another nobody that LeBron James or that Michael Jordan stepped over. And uh, that's not the entire story, you know? Yeah. Um, the podcast is called Off the Bull and uh, it's available on the OTB Highlights section so on our podcast network so you've got to uh, go on to the OTB Highlights and scroll back to uh, I think it went up on Tuesday morning but it's been great I've really enjoyed it yourself yeah. and Jarrett Regan and Kieran Donahue and uh, Owen Sheehan talking about it for an hour or so a nice accompaniment to this which I think has been like number one for two days in a row in Ireland on Netflix, so people are people are definitely watching it, and a lot of people know what we're talking about. So, the other are the, uh, the go on the, the Dream Team NBA TV network. I think is, is, it, is it called NBA TV. I think that their 1992 documentary on the Dream Team is available on YouTube, so you can actually go and watch that as well, which is another outstanding documentary. Like basketball is like basketball is great for basketball movies and for basketball documentaries. So I'm not actually like saying this is a bad documentary ending. I'm just it's not just particularly interesting to me it is going to be really well made ESPN do these things brilliantly all the 30 for 30 series they're all worth a watch um, he, he Vladi Divac is actually playing on the Lakers team that they they beat in their first championship season and Once Brothers was on the other night which to me is the outstanding uh, 30 for 30 by like th- th- a lot of these stories are very interesting human interest stories but that's actually the story of two countries uh, fighting a pretty horrific war in our lifetime for most of us, and uh, this is playing out in the um, basketball courts of America at the same time. So that's definitely my favorite one. You're saying the 1992 version, um, NBA TV's The Dream well, Team, that one. You know, it's, it's on it's on The Dream Team, but it, it was made, I think, in 2016, 2017. It was when all the uh, footage of the practices came out, where they never seen before, where there were games behind the scenes. But like, because obviously on that team you had, I think, it's eight Hall of Famers, nine Hall of Famers, and the NBA or basketball, it's a basketball Hall of Fame, not an NBA Hall of Fame. It has a relatively low bar for Hall of Famers, but that team was just stacked. So the toughest challenge that team had probably was playing the first team against the second team in practice. So you got all that. Uh, all that behind-the-scenes footage from the NBA. You had all the players involved who were talking about it. You talk about Isaiah. Like Isaiah is someone who was a great basketball player, but there's other issues with him as well. So the, the wider story of him is uh, controversial, is what I'm going to use there as the best word to use. But the, there are so many different aspects of that team, not just Michael Jordan. Like Magic Johnson is there, Larry Bird is there. It's an incredibly good documentary. And it's just it's fascinating the way all these different things from that era intersected. I'm not sure that's really the way it works anymore. Well, um, I've just uh, WhatsApped you the link to the one that I think it is. We'll, we'll tweet that if it is the right one. If it isn't, uh, we'll find the right one and tweet it out after this. There was some sporting activity happening last weekend that has relevance to this show, in particular with uh, the draft and the immediate aftermath of the draft. Um, how, how was your entire draft experience? Obviously, we did the show after the first round last week, and there was fairly significant information to get into. A, a controversial choice of a, a quarterback in the second round from the Philadelphia Eagles kind of mirrored the first day conversation about what was going on with the Green Bay Packers. But now that the dust has settled a bit, Kian, any final takeaways from the draft that we should get into? Ah, well, like we can kind of talk about any team in that way. I think the the draft itself became dominated by Justin Rohrasser, which is the Patriots punter, which is an off field story more than anything. But the which is he's a tattoo that's very controversial, white supremacist tattoo, which he says he's going to get covered up. So the in terms of football, Jalen Hurts, yeah, very clearly became the biggest story because he's going to the Philadelphia Eagles, which everyone there loves Carson Wentz. 
But Carson Wentz has not been fully healthy for a full season. He has not been uh, proven his durability. He played all 16 games last year in the regular season and then got hurt immediately in the playoffs. And it's not really that it was his fault. He got hit by Jadevian Clowney on the back of his head. He got knocked out from Gus. That's not... That's not his fault. Yeah. You, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah that's not really that's not really his fault. Like he he that did happen to him. It's not something you blame him for, but it is something the the Eagles have to consider. Like if he's getting one concussion, it's going to lead to more. If he's already got a blown up knee, it's going to lead to more issues. If he's already got back that had to had to have work done, he's going to need more issues than that. And if he's already had his elbow issues from his rookie season, he had broken ribs or entering the league. So these injuries have just piled up to the point that the Eagles kind of have to value the backup quarterback spot a little bit more than most. So the question becomes. What is Jalen Hurts? Is Jalen Hurts a insurance policy against Carson Wentz? Because last year, Josh McCown came in and they just weren't able to compete with him. Jalen Hurts, whether he's better than Josh McCown as a rookie, we don't know. We'll find out. Is he someone who can come in and do a little bit of what Taysom Hill does? Because in college, Jalen Hurts was at Alabama beforehand and played a little bit more out of structure. He could run a little bit more. He's not a super athlete. He's not like Lamar Jackson, but he's good enough to come in and change the, change the pace up a little bit. So is he going to be that complimentary piece? Is he a long-term option? I don't think he's going to be a long-term option for the very simple reason that Carson Wentz is locked into a long-term deal. But it is fascinating in the, the thought process of the Eagles because everyone went into that draft thinking, oh, they need as many wide receivers as they can get. They got Jalen Rieger in the first round, and then you were thinking, oh, they'll add another receiver if there's one there, or they'll go defense or add offensive line to help Carson Wentz. Instead, they're thinking insurance policy or diversifying the offense in the way the Saints have, which leads us to another aspect from the last week or so, which is Taysom Hill's contract extension. I'm kind of confused by the pick, which is actually confused is probably the wrong word I'm intrigued by the pick because I want to see how it develops and how it follows over the over the coming months Wentz is beloved right now if he has a couple of bad games that eagle crowd isn't like as much as they love you they'll turn on you pretty quick yeah I've, I've been there to see a game when Andrew Luck was playing actually and, and uh, the Colts won very late on and that was an amazing crowd it was like everything that you would expect the Philadelphia Eagles crowd to be all of the cliches, everything you've ever seen, any pop culture reference to Philadelphia, it underprepares you for what that crowd is actually like and basically how much of an asshole the the uh, the central tenet of the Philadelphian character is I'm an asshole prove me wrong and it's great to watch and it's great to be around and it's a brilliant thing to be a part of uh, especially as um, the last five minutes you're like I might lose this I wonder what's going to happen um, yeah so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how they get on Carson Wentz but you, like, do you not just beef up your offensive line if your QB is getting concussed by marauding edge rushers beef up your uh, offensive line well, no, because your quarterback's going to get hit regardless. Like, even the best offensive lines aren't going to keep you completely clean. It's about how you... you it's, it's a hard thing to say we know definitively what leads to these things. Like, as someone who's had significant injuries, generally significant injuries lead to more significant injuries because that specific weakness. Like, uh, as the example I have that I always go back to, once my knee had problems, my hamstring started having problems out of nowhere because it was compensation. So it's not really like, oh, we can just give him better protection and then he'll hold up better. Once your body starts to break down a little bit, I think there is a knock-on effect so they have to insure themselves against the specific position and the other part of that is 
this offensive line class, I, I think there was three guys at the very top who were really good. And then after that, you really got some question marks. Like one of the things uh, we, I've watched over this week is Austin Jackson, who was taken, yeah, Austin Jackson, who was taken to USC left tackle, who was taken to play, uh, sorry, he's a right tackle, taken to play on the left side for the Miami Dolphins. And he was taken in the top 20. So you compare him to Jedrick Willis, who was taken 11th, I think, by the Browns, 11th or 10th. So those two players, like I watched Jedrick Willis first, incredible. That's exactly what you expect from an, an offensive tackle you take in the first round. Exactly what you want from a guy who could be a future all-pro, can run block, can pass block, can do anything you want in the running game. Is going to hold up on his own on the edge against great pass, pass rushers. So that's ex- everything you want. As soon as you go to Austin Jackson eight picks later, it's, this is a disaster. This guy got drafted just because he's massive, which is a, a thing that happens in the NFL a lot. So if that's happening in the top 20, the Eagles' second-round pick is in, what, 55, 51, 50, I think. 45, around yeah. that area, 51. So by the time you get to there, you're not getting an offensive lineman who's going to come in and start for you straight away anyway. So that's not going to help you with Carson Wentz in the immediate future. So it's really a matter of what direction you want to go in. I think the Eagles are trying to cover all their bases a little bit. You can't really blame them, though, because they've built out a roster that allows them to do that. They have specific weaknesses to address. They've done that a little bit with Darius Slay and coming in a cornerback who's on the downside a little bit of his career, but a good value trade for them. So you can't really criticize them and say they missed an opportunity because it's not like they have, like like the Packers, sort of the, the big team we came out of last week where they desperately needed wide receiver help in the deepest wide receiver class ever being argued by some people at least, and they didn't pick a single wide receiver. Like, that's a criticism. What the Eagles did was intriguing more than something you need to criticize. Yeah, okay. Um, there was talk that the... Green Bay Packers were in for various uh, wide receivers, but that they kept getting picked just before them. That's why the 49ers traded up to pick their wide receiver in the first round. And it, so it wasn't that uh, they, they just felt like they weren't going to rush into picking a wide receiver they didn't want at a value that they thought was wrong. And I can see the, I can see the merits of that. Ronan, what was your takeaway before we get into the big free agent stories that have happened and the, the cuts that have happened in the aftermath of the draft? Yeah, I think the Eagles is really interesting. It's obviously been thrown into the same category as the Packers one, but I think uh, Jalen Hurts makes a lot of sense for them. It's not as if there were tons and tons of beneficial players at that pick. So it's like a project for them. And uh, Harry Roseman says he wants to turn that into like a QB factory. So this is a perfect chance to do that. Carson Wentz is going to be their guy. And Charles Robinson from Yahoo said the Eagles believe Hurts can be Taysom Hill on, on steroids. In inverted commas, so uh, <laughs> that's what they're going to be playing. It's him America, you've got to put those, you've got to do yeah. that. That's, uh, I mean, you know, they've got a different yeah. attitude over there. Absolutely. And Marty Mordenweg, who was the Ravens' uh, offensive guy when Lamar Jackson first came in, is now an assistant with the Eagles. So you can definitely imagine they're going to be finding little wrinkles for wasn't, him. Wasn't he the one that they wanted to turn him into a wide receiver, though? Was that not, is that not the same guy? Yeah, he's ultimately, there was a, he's out of the building, Jerry, so you can uh, infer from that what you will. But I think uh, they kind of came to a, an arrangement that they'd get Lamar involved. And Joe Flacco wasn't too happy about that. I think you'll remember his sort of po-faced demeanor standing out wide while Lamar Jackson came in to run some plays. But I think Jalen Hurts, as Keane said, not uh, the breakout athlete that Lamar Jackson is by any means. But I think he can he can affect stuff. And the AFC West is going to be really interesting as well because, like, People have looked at the Kansas City Chiefs and seen the speed that they've brought to the table and the Raiders and the Broncos have both said, yeah, we're going to follow suit there and they've drafted some real speedsters uh, last week. And obviously the Chargers had an unbelievable uh, wide receiving core anyway. So whether they can hit the ground running with the new QB, QB remains to be seen. But the AFC West should be, should be very intriguing. 
Yeah, okay. Um, the, the families, the dead animals in um, uh, the Minnesota head coach's wall, the, the dog who is very much alive in the uh, kitchen of the, uh, you know, the greatest coach of all time. Yeah. Like, did any of this make a difference? Everyone's like, oh, it's nice that these uh, very weird human beings who never spend any time with their families are now forced to spend time with their families. Maybe they might realize that families are important to people. Is this going to happen again? Well, that was... That was a storyline coming out of the draft, actually. Uh, a couple of coaches said it on the record, and uh, it was widely then reported anonymously because NFL coaches who expect everyone around them to be as brave as brave can be are scared of doing anything on the record a lot of the time. They came out saying that this is the way forward, that this is the way the draft should be done because they want to spend more time with their families and they're reassessing how they work. And I've always believed this, that like Belichick has never been the one who comes out and says, oh, I work 22 hours a day, I work 16 hours a day and sleep once every week he's never been the guy who comes out and says all this and gets really mad all the time and is always worked up and always stressed Belichick the best coach and John Harbaugh is the same Sean Payton maybe a little bit in that other direction but overall is still probably in that same area none of these guys are these insane psychopaths I have to be committed to my job 90, 99% of the time nothing else matters except football all of them have a perspective and all of them understand hey we work a certain amount of time we work in the right way we work well and we get the job done it's the guys Generally, it's the guys who prove to be bad coaches are the guys who are ones who are too far into the project. There's a great picture going around of Matt Nagy in his room where he's got 10 million different posters and play designs and different stats up on the walls all around him. And he's just clearly trying way too hard. And then you've got Belichick sat in his kitchen table with his dog sitting on the chair next to him, just with nothing around him on the phone going, yeah, I think we'll tread back. Like there's not, there's no reason for these coaches to be as stressed and crazy as they are. It's just the culture of the way the way they've gone to get to the point that they've gotten to, and they keep going that way. Hopefully, this draft changes the way they think. But you would have thought by now, seeing all the health problems so many of them have, that they would have gone and changed before now anyway. Yeah, uh, I can't see that much change. And although um, John Lynch did a piece with Peter King where he was saying that, you know, they're going to get their scouts to do far more stuff remotely because at the end of the season, when the scouts have been on the road for 30 weeks of the year, they bring them all together for like, a, oh, it's great for team morale and it's like another week away from their families and instead of doing that they're actually going to try and get them to have some work-life balance uh, look let's um, let's move on because there's a couple of things that we want to talk about here this piece was recorded before the lockdown but uh, Keenan Ronan I want to get your thoughts on it how would a complete rookie get on against experienced American football players have a look at this if you thought Super Bowl 54 was the last we've seen of American football in Ireland then you're wrong <laughs> The helmets might make American football seem like soft boys rugby, but to the Castlenock-based West Dublin Rhinos, even training is tough, competitive and physical. So, how would a complete noob face in practice? To find out, we got our guinea pig Daniel to suit up. They're uh, the big boys and they seem to be hitting hard, so let's see how it goes. And I'm hoping they're going to need a wide receiver after this. So, you want to be a wide receiver? Well, if you're going to get that far, you're going to have to impress the team's offensive coordinator, Stephen O'Rourke. So training sets usually entail, usually full contact? Yeah, by the end it's full contact. We tend to come in, we'll warm up, then we'll work with the individual positions. So the line, offensive and defensive lines will work on their own, the running backs will work on their own, the receivers will work on their own, uh, and the defensive players, and then everyone will come together slowly but surely. So, yeah. And so to get started, it's time to learn some routes. Well, it certainly seems focused. 
bad. Let's see what Steven thinks. Work a little bit, but that's fine. He's brand new to the game, uh, but he's doing everything right. It'll be interesting to see him when there's a defence against him. We'll see that in a few minutes. Yeah, he's had it easy because he's been wide open and got a few passes, but at least he's got good hands. He does, yeah, and, but it is a lot easier to catch a ball when you're surrounded by air than when there's a 200 pound man trying to kill you. So. What do you expect what's going to happen when he's around uh, the defence? He just won't get open as quickly as he probably thinks he will. Uh, they're probably going to play press because they're going to see he's a rookie. Uh, so they'll be a bit tighter than they would normally be, so that space, he's going to have to fight for it. But if he gets there, he's got the hands to catch the ball. Yeah, no, it's going to be a different different ball game altogether when I have uh, someone actually uh, marking me. I think the biggest mistake so far was, uh, was not bringing a spare pair of pants. Yeah, nice trousers, Dan. Now, let's see how he fares when he has defenders to beat. Oh, struggling for space there. He can tackle, though. Sure you don't want to be a linebacker, Dan. so close. Let's see that again. There you go now. You're really getting stuck in. So after a long cold morning practice, what is the coach's birthday? All right, well done to the uh, DCU crowd who uh, put that together. We'll give you the full credit list on all of our social channels as well. You can watch that back. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, turns out it is a game for all shapes and sizes. Uh, Kim, where are we going next? <laughs> He's a brave man. I give him that. Like the the rugby, you know, we always do the thing where we say, "Oh, uh, rugby benefits so much from having Gaelic football." That didn't seem to translate there. I don't think. But um, th- this is actually a kind of a very relevant thing, though, because like while obviously the DCU boys there are doing this at a very extreme level and taking someone who's never played football, it's very relevant for this time of the year because this is exactly what draft people are doing. This is exactly what NFL teams are doing, taking guys from college. And the best example I have from watching the last week is Michael Pittman, who is a very important player. Like every year the draft has the top picks and it comes down in a set order and you think, oh, these guys are in order of importance, but they're not. It's about where you land and how much of an impact you can immediately have. And the Colts wide receiver spots, because they got Phillip Rivers, because they have an overall team that's good enough to go into the playoffs, that wide receiver spots were hugely important for them. So they trade their first round pick for uh, DeForest Buckner to the 49ers. So they passed in the first round. That means they skipped on Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb. Those are the options they had, which led them to Michael Pittman. And Michael Pittman's a fascinating draft pick on his own. And he's even more fascinating now where he landed. So he's six foot four. He's 234 pounds. So he's a monster. He looks like a tight end and he moves like a tight end, but he's going to play wide receiver. And the Colts love him. And Frank Reich talked this week about how he's going to win loads of jump balls for them and how they really love that, that ability that he has. But that's a very, very different thing. And you kind of saw on that clip we just watched where the ball is being thrown up in the air and two guys going up and one of them was looking a little bit more under had an understanding of how he went to get the ball because he played football a lot more to the new guy who was going in and kind of didn't really understand how to get in the right body position. That's kind of what Michael Pippen has now going into the NFL. He's got to figure out how to 
No, it's not, it's no longer good enough just being taller than everyone else. He's got to figure out how to get in the right positions, how to work, work his leverage. He's going to be in that Devin Funches role for the Colts, and it's crucial for the Colts because they had Philip Rivers last year who had Mike Williams, who he relied on constantly where he was just throwing the ball up, and Mike Williams was further along in his development, so he understood how to adjust to all these passes. So it's, the NFL and American football in general is this sport where everyone's always adding layers, everyone's always learning, everyone's always developing. None of these guys, it's not really like in the soccer or American football or sorry, not American football, Gaelic football or uh, hurling, where you can have these young superstars come in and know everything straight away. Those are extremely rare in American football. Yeah. Um, one last thing before we move on, because to tie this back around to where we were going, everybody's obviously obsessed with what you do with Patrick Mahomes. Um, and we saw that in the draft. We saw so many teams kind of aping what the Kansas City Chiefs have done, particularly in their division. We've seen teams try and respond by adding as much pace as they possibly can. Is there a possibility that... Patrick Mahomes bestrides the NFL like Michael Jordan, that he's that level of a talent and that we're watching now him having overcome so early in his career that mountain that it took Jordan six years to get to, that this is the beginning of something that we've never seen before. Because it feels to me he is as good as anything that the sport has ever had because it's a combination. He's kind of this kind of weird, uh, prescient combination of the best running QB as you need to be all the skill set that Tom Brady and Joe Montana had but combined in a way that not even Lamar has well here's the where we've got to start with this jar name the one to beat Mahomes no no sorry name who is the Michael Jordan right now for the NFL who is the guy that everyone points to and says he's the greatest player ever Tom Brady but he's not Jerry Rice is that, and that's the difficulty of the NFL if some people will say Jerry Rice, everyone will say Tom Brady, other people will say Joe Montana, and the NFL has so many players, and they're also a lot of time faceless players, they don't become brands the way Jordan and LeBron have become brands, so the reason I would think it's very difficult is, that's just not the way football works, culture-wise, there's a lot more argument, there's a lot less individual, and I think, like, the way I would put this, and the way I, I wouldn't disagree with you that Mahomes is capable of that, I think he's level, is at that level, but he's coming off a quarterback era that's considered the best era of quarterbacks ever, with Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, there's four guys straight away off the top who are all incredibly good. So, you had Jordan from the previous era, who LeBron had to catch, and that was pretty much it. There were obviously other great players there, but don't really one who stood out. The problem with football is you can't not narrow it down to one person and say that so many different points. Yeah, okay, your lines broke up a little bit at the end there. So um, there's a couple of bits of news that we need to get to here, Ron, that we should talk about. Um, the Giants have picked up a couple of their options that they had to. Um, Gabriel Peppers and Evan Ingram. Um, Andy Dalton has been released. OJ Howard's option was picked up, which was interesting. Presumably they're going to trade him. Um, let's start with the release of Andy Dalton. Um, I, I'm a little bit surprised, I've got to say, Ronan. I thought that actually, given that you have a relatively cheap, although he's the first overall pick, so he's not completely cheap, uh, quarterback, cheap in quarterback terms, and Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's this amazing insurance for you if there is any slowness in Joe Burrow, if there's an injury to Joe Burrow, if there's stuff that you don't, you haven't discovered just yet because you haven't really had the opportunity to spend that much time with him. Keep Andy Dalton until week three, week four, when some team suddenly has a, a massive urge to get a mediocre quarterback because their QB has gone down with injury. It just seems like... There was no real point in letting him go right now. 
Yeah, and it was highly publicised, I think, about two months ago at this stage that they were willing to trade Andy Dalton and there were obviously no takers because, bizarrely, this has become quite a stacked uh, quarterback class of unemployed people, basically. So Joe Flacco, Super Bowl winner, has no job. Cam Newton, or MVP and Super Bowl, appeared in the Super Bowl, obviously. He has no team either. And Andy Dalton, while, you know, he's consistent in 2015, he had a really good season and as has always started, has, hasn't has succumbed to many injuries, has always been a safe pair of hands. But the Patriots have always been pegged as a landing spot for him. Even Peter King said it at the end of March that he could see Andy Dalton ending up there. But I think Belichick and, and co. have basically looked at Jared Stidham and thought, we're going to go with this guy because he's got the sort of movement that we haven't, we've haven't. we been robbed of with Tom Brady. While Tom Brady is metronomic in his passing, we haven't been able to move with the times in terms of what Mahomes does and what Lamar does. So they might try that for one year with Stadium and just see how they get on because I'm sure um, Josh McDaniels has plenty up his sleeve in terms of little wrinkles he can throw into the playbook. So I think Andy Dalton might find himself a little bit frustrated. He mightn't find a job. Jameis Winston, I thought, was the most interesting one that he turned down four and five million from other teams to be their backups basically backing himself to go to the Saints and thinking maybe Drew Brees. Like, there was a lot of talk that Drew Brees was going to take a co-commentary job in this offseason. He has actually signed up for NBC. He's going to take over from Chris Collinsworth in a couple of years. But I think James Winston's is probably looking at that situation, seeing what happened with Teddy Bridgewater and thinking, you know, I could probably nick that job by the time Drew Brees steps away. Because James Winston has unbelievable talent. You know, his, his activities off the field, obviously, leave a lot to be desired. But in terms of what he can bring to the park... I think he's one of the more exciting players and Sean Payton will fancy his chances of ironing out the kinks that sort of derailed his prospects as a pro so far. Let's talk about these two together then, Kian. I know you've been looking at a bit of Winston tape. You thought it was pretty bad the amount of time that he holds on to it. Um, Why is Winston getting a job? Is it simply that he's willing to take it for a million quid and Andy Dalton currently doesn't have anything? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if Jameis Winston had other offers. I think he's been out there for two months. He's been looking for jobs. He hasn't been able to get any. I think it's the Saints gave him the best deal he could get, which was a minimum deal. I don't really buy into the idea of him rebuilding his brand or rebuilding his, his player profile there because, for one, he's only going to play if Drew Brees gets hurt. And even then, Taysom Hill is probably ahead of him. It's not like the Saints had no money. They gave Taysom Hill money. They could have given Jameis Winston more money. He was going to be the backup. He's going to be the third string there to me. Like last year, he could have intercepted 50 times, and that's not an exaggeration. That's something I've gone and looked at. He had 51 passes that could have been intercepted last year. That's an insane number for a guy who already had 30. Normally, if you throw 30, you think you've been unlucky. He was quite lucky while only throwing 30. I think he's a massive obstacle to winning games. And he's probably going to be out of the league in 12 months. Andy Dalton... I, I don't think Andy Dalton is pretty good. Any good. Like, Andy Dalton, four or five years ago, was fine. He was the guy everyone pointed to as an average quarterback. He inherited that label from Alex uh, Smith. We'll, we'll, and he we'll, worked in... We'll, we'll dial you back and we'll get your Andy Dalton hot take in, in just a second. Um, I've got to say, I'm a bit surprised, Ronan, that if you're the Bengal, you don't just keep Andy Dalton for a couple of months. Like, what's, It's got to cost you a bit of money, but not that much money. Why not just do that? Yeah, it's a fair point. I wonder, is any is it anything from Andy Dalton's side of things where he wants a, a fresh challenge and maybe, I think he probably feels a little bit irked by the narrative around him, as Keane was alluding to there, that he's like a game manager. You know, he's a pretty good, he's had nine winning seasons and I know from personal experience, he's walked into Baltimore a couple of times and been very clutch, you know, closed out games against very good Ravens teams. So he's a good player and, you know, if he can manoeuvre his way into New England, I'd like to see what he could do with, you know, a competent uh, coach and GM. So, I don't know. I think uh, I think Andy Dalton still has something to offer. He's definitely more of a a team player than the likes of Jameis. I think other other teams will be willing to have them 
have him into their building. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, like he's he's going to be a good backup. Again, it's somebody who the Eagles could happily have had sitting on their bench for uh, a certain amount of time. And they, they must have thought that he was either going to be available for free or for like a handful of magic beans with the seventh round pick from 2022 if uh, if they wanted to, to get him under control for anything. I mean, it would have been a money issue trading for that contract, but you could have done a deal with Dalton to um, take a pay cut in advance of that, that trade happening. So, I don't know, it, it does seem strange that here somebody who's relatively competent is not available, uh, sorry, is not being kept by the Bengals in the first place and then is not being snapped up by somebody quicker. Yeah, and you see some of the jobs that have been filled, like, the one that baffles me is Philip Rivers at the Colts. I don't know what the Colts think they're getting there. I was a big Philip Rivers fan a couple of years ago, but he looked sort of shot-worn to me last year. And they've paid him big money for a one-year deal. Again, alluding to what I was saying about Breeze, Philip Rivers was being linked with Monday Night Football co-commentary, and I'm sure ESPN were bringing a lot of money to the table. But I'd say they were the only competition the Colts had for Philip Rivers. And if it was me, personally, I would prefer to have... Well, I'd prefer to have Brissett, who's already in the Colts building. I'd prefer to have Andy Dalton. And I would prefer to have Cam Newton, who seems to be like I, I'd be worried if I was Cam Newton that he he is such a price point. I can't see him taking one point one million dollars, so I don't know where he's going to end up. I think and it's quite worrying that a player of his ability might be sort of driven out of the league. Briefly, then some of the other news that we wanted to talk about: the Giants have picked up Evan Ingram and Jabril Peppers. I heard a lot of praise for the Giants' draft. Um, you know, Dave Gettleman obviously comes in for a lot of criticism, but it seems like that criticism has kind of it's a bit of backlash against it. It's fair to say in the last two weeks. And the picks that he's made as a talent evaluator, PFF, were, were giving him a very high grade for that. And they've kind of said that he's managed to remake that defense um, in terms of giving themselves plenty of different pieces together. Evan Ingram is like a, a transcendent talent if he can stay fit as well. So, you know, if if um, Danny Dimes is actually a above average or uh, average quarterback, then suddenly the Giants have enough pieces to be a reasonable team. Yeah, and Joe Judge, I remember being, when we did this show after he was appointed, I was baffled that some of the names that were being thrown around, granted they didn't take Jason Garrett, which was obviously beneficial, but they went for Joe Judge, who was relatively unproven. But I see, I've been impressed by how he's, how he's dealt with things, you know, in terms of player personnel. And in these two instances, like Ingram and Peppers, 25 and 24 respectively, it's kind of like a prove-it situation for those. Just pick up the fifth-year options and with a new coach, sort of go there and show what you can do because Daniel Jones is going to take this team forward and... Like, not to like Eli Manning is, is a great player. He's probably going to go into the Hall of Fame, but he, he he held him back for a couple of years there. In all reality, so this is a chance for a fresh slate on on all fronts. And I think, you know, this is a good start for them. They're a solid draft. So did the Jets. So New York football might make something of a comeback. Um, it remains to be seen. So, uh, yeah, I think. I think Joe Judge. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he actually does. Like, it's all. It's very easy to be good in press conferences, but. Like, as Bill O'Brien has shown, if you're good in press conferences, it doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. Yeah, I mean, maybe Bill O'Brien is a good coach, you know. it's just He's a bad not, GM. That's he's the not, thing. He might be a good coach, but he's definitely a terrible GM because yeah. we've seen uh, the Hopkins trade, you know, it's just blown up in his face. And even the Laramie Tunsil thing where, you know, I could see the need to protect Deshaun Watson, but he gave up the whole house, basically, to get this guy and didn't negotiate a contract with him before the, dra- or before the trade was made. And now they've been bent over a barrel by this guy. And... I just think, as Keane said at the start of the show, you know, the hours that go into being a coach alone, let alone being a GM, I know Belichick does it, but he's, I'd say his drafting has sort of been a little bit left a little bit to be desired, you know? So I think it's, it's probably Bill O'Brien has taken too much on here. 
And it reminds me a bit of what Chip Kelly did with the Eagles when he got rid of LaShawn McCoy and everyone thought, oh, he's got a grand plan here. He's building for the future. In retrospect, he didn't. He, he panicked. He brought DeMarco Murray in and that project blew up in his face. Similarly here, Bill O'Brien got rid of Hopkins. You're thinking, what is he going to do? Is he going to draft some of these uh, brilliant young receivers in the draft? But no, he, he went and got Randall Cobb on ridiculous money. And then, you know, I just... I'm not sure about the Bill O'Brien project. He's a, he's a good coach, but I think he needs to hand the reins of, of general manager over to somebody else. Yeah, it helps when you have um, a general manager who actually can negotiate things like taking Trent Williams for, again, a handful of magic beans. Um, that was a good signing, Keen. Uh, assuming Trent Williams' health issues are over and the year out of football has not seen him suddenly forget how to play football, getting a Pro Bowl left tackle for a third and a fifth, and if he leaves, it's uh, you get your fifth back anyway. So it's a third for a full season and the opportunity to negotiate with him long term. That was a good move by the 49ers. Yeah, I feel like I'm in that advert from about 10 years ago and the guy standing in the ocean shouting, can you hear me now with the way the show is going? But uh, Trent Williams, he, I, I was really excited about that move when he was going to be the left guard inside Joe Staley because that would have been one of the most dominant lines in the league. I think that would have, like, that fit with Kyle Shanahan as run blocking would have been incredible. Now he's replacing Joe Staley. It's a little bit of a shine gone off it, but it's still a huge move because... Trent Williams, when healthy, when available, when wanting to play. And those aren't, like, that's not a qualifier I'm using as a negative on Trent Williams. He was right to not want to be in Washington the way they treated him, the way they misdiagnosed his health issues. He was absolutely right to force his way out of there. So when he's available, when he's on the right track, when he's focused in that team, he's going to be one of the best left tackles in the league again. And that's going to be a huge difference maker for the 49ers. The 49ers have had a great, great offseason. They got Brandon Oyek, who's a really good wide receiver. They got... Um, the first pick, Jamon Kinlaw, who's going to replace the Forrest Buckner, not perfectly, but enough for them the defense to remain effective. So I'm really excited about where the 49ers are going. It's just that same question mark with me all the time with the quarterback there. So, But they did the maximum, the maximum of what they could have done this offseason to try and catch the Chiefs and the Ravens ahead of them. Yeah, and look, that's kind of all you can hope for. But it, it, just to compare and contrast with, say, the situation in Houston, um, famously the Shanahans don't get on with Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington team, and there was no way that a deal was going to be done last year when they inquired about Trent Williams. But John Lynch has a long-standing relationship with um, the new coach at Washington, and so he was able to make a deal with uh, Riverboat Ron because apparently they were um, they were camp counselors as teenagers together, and they knew each other all the way back to the time they were they were kids. Like this shit, it turns out is stuff that you can't analyze because you don't know what happens in the background. But suddenly a deal happens, and everybody goes, "Why did that deal happen when it couldn't happen up to this point?" And uh, maybe Bill O'Brien needs um, a John Lynch in his life. Yeah, but Washington also just screwed themselves there, really, because a year ago they could have got a first-round pick. Like, a year ago, before all the nonsense happened, and before the ego of Dan Snyder was there, forcing them to hold on to Trent Williams, trying to win the battle of wills, all of that ruined his trade value. So once once they, once the price went down, like, the value became great. But yeah, like you talk about these relationships. John Lynch, like... He's someone who has done a really, really good job with Kyle Shanahan, and he's someone who's done a really good job coming from a place that no one really expects him to do a really good job. Like he, he was obviously a famous football player, a great football player, but coming from TV, there was a lot of skepticism with him, and it's the complete opposite situation of the Texans, where Bill O'Brien is a dictator, basically, and Bill O'Brien gets to do what he wants no matter what, and one of the clips coming out of the draft is Bill O'Brien getting very angry at his computer for not working. And it feels like that's what Bill O'Brien has been doing for the last two years, getting angry and getting rid of something. Most of the time, it's players, very talented players. 
Yeah, I'm surprised that hasn't become a, a meme or a gift just yet. Uh, last thing, OJ Howard, you want to talk about this? this is is obviously very interesting. If they decide to keep OJ Howard, which I su- would be surprised if they did keep OJ Howard, but they would have OJ Howard and Gronk, and all of a sudden, for the first time, Tom Brady has uh, two. T- with also got Cameron Brait, so he would have a lot of tight ends to throw the ball to uh, if he so desired. What do you expect to happen here? Why are they keeping him? Why are they exercising this option? So picking up the option was curious to me because. So the way this works is Bruce Arians is a very specific type of offense that he wants to run. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to run it because Tom Brady is not really a fit in that offense. But let's take the idea that Bruce Arians is going to run this offense he's always run. He wants a Heat Miller tight end. He wants a Dwayne Allen tight end. He wants someone who's going to block. That's not what O.J. Howard is. O.J. Howard is an Aaron Hernandez type of tight end. I should really get a better example instead of using Aaron Hernandez, but that's the best example of the move tight end. Travis Kelsey is probably a better option. So you got, he is a guy like L.J. Howard there who wants to be out and receiving and running around. He does not want to be in blocking defensive ends. He's not built for that. Never has been. He was actually at Alabama, was put in a similar miscast role there where he blocked too much as well. So now that he's got these three tight ends, Cameron Brayton and Rob Gronkowski fit perfectly with what Bruce Arians wants to do. But you can't have three tight ends on the field. So the only way this is going to work for the Buccaneers immediately is if O.J. Howard plays slot receiver, which would make sense a little bit, even though he's not that much of a receiver. He's more of a tight end, a catching, a pass-catching tight end. So it's a very fascinating thing the way it's going to shake out because they have so much talent there. They're not just going to drop someone. Like The only way this made sense to me initially was if one of Howard or Brayton was going to be traded when they got Gronk. But that doesn't seem to be going to happen. There was no suggestion of it during the draft. There was no suggestion at the time of the Gronkowski trade. And now they picked up the option. So either this is a great bluff to maximize the value in the trade or they've got a new idea for O.J. Howard because he can't fit the role he played last year. Yeah. I, I, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if there were uh, a few fairly rapid-fire trades coming in the next few days. Or does everybody go quiet and go dark now? Is this the end of the news cycle, really, from the NFL for a couple of months? Well, I think a lot of the big questions are not being able to get guys in for physicals. I think that's probably why Everson Griffin hasn't been signed. I think that's probably why Cam hasn't been signed. And making trades then becomes a bigger risk because you can't get the physical on the guy. Jacoby um, Brissett is the one for me. It, it doesn't make sense that he's going to be a backup. It doesn't make sense that he's trapped behind Philip Rivers. There's huge value there. The Patriots would love to have him, I assume. So I, I think a deal gets worked out there. I think he absolutely once August, like assuming we get back to some sort of normality, I think once August comes around, training camp starts, preseason games, you get a better look at Stidham, you get a better idea of what your roster is going to be. I think that's when you get a trade between those two teams. All right. Good stuff, uh, Keen. Thanks very much for being with us this week. Uh, thanks to you as well, Ronan, and uh, to everybody for watching on this week's edition of The Snap. Remember, you can uh, sign up to our American football newsletter, OTB Club Gridiron. We'll get the very latest from The Snap, the latest American football news from both Ireland and the USA from offtheball.com, podcasts as well as both long and short-form video, and more stuff from American football Ireland coming your way over the next while. Sign up, offtheball.com forward slash Club Gridiron. See you next week. Best of luck. was an off-the-ball podcast network presentation.